Peter Best. Welcome to Meet the Expert, the series of podcasts on swine health management in practice brought to you by Beringer Ingerheim. In this episode, it's my pleasure to be talking to Dr. Klaus Deppner. Dr. Deppner is a virologist located in northern Germany where he heads a small working group called Transboundary Animal Disease Management within the Institute of International Animal Health, One Health, at the Friedrich Löffler Institute, or FLI, the German Federal Institute for Animal Health. Hello, Dr. Deppner. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about a particularly topical aspect of transboundary animal disease management, which is current knowledge about African swine fever. You yourself have quite some track record of dealing with ASF in various countries, don't you? Hello, Peter. Good morning to everybody. Yes, um, I had the opportunity to work with African swine fever already after I finished my veterinary school. That was in the early 19s when I was in Africa. I was there heading in Namibia the, in, the, in the Central Vet Laboratory, the Department of Virology and I was very fortunate since I had a senior colleague, a pathologist, who one day called me to the pathology room, postmortem room, and showed me the first uh, two pigs which had African swine fever and explained me this disease. And that was already one of my first lessons which I learned regarding African swine fever. He explained me that in Africa, um, domestic pigs is quite difficult to be uh, raised because of African swine fever and this contact to the warthogs, which are a reservoir. And if you want to keep pigs in Africa outdoor, you have to have double fences. So the lesson was that by double fencing your pigs, you might be in a position to prevent them from infection. So that is how it started with African swine fever. However, afterwards, so many years passed and uh, I became an expert in classical swine fever and I forgot Africa swine fever until 2007 when it came back to, to Europe, to, to the Caucasus region, to Georgia. As an expert in virology, how do you view the African swine fever virus? I must admit that I find it difficult to compare ASF with other viruses active in swine. Yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned, I was uh, working many, many years then with classical swine fever, uh, also viral disease of pigs, also very um, dangerous disease. And what happens is that these two diseases, African and classical swine fever, are indeed indistinguishable from a clinical point of view or pathological point of view. With other words, if you have two pigs in front of you, the one has African and the other one has classical swine fever, you will not be able to distinguish them. Um, that is also a fatal, uh, say, a mistake which you can do when you think you know everything about classical swine fever and only because these diseases are resembling, you may know uh, how to handle African swine fever. And that is what I made at the beginning. I used my classical swine fever knowledge to, to fight African swine fever and it's not working. They are completely two different diseases, completely different epidemiology, completely different behavior of the virus. And that is what one has to learn. Each disease is 
on its own. Uh, the only help he has is that he recognizes that it's swine fever, but he cannot tell if it is a classical or African swine fever. And then when it's clear that it's African swine fever, uh, then control and eradication has to follow another uh, yeah, philosophy, another mindset. <clears throat> it has something to do with the contagiosity of the diseases. There are different ways. Uh, there are different things, the transmission of the disease, which is different. And knowing all that, um, you might use different methods. So classical swine fever is rather a fast spreading disease. And African swine fever is a slow disease, is a very slow disease. And that one should know. <clears throat> Hmm. I, I hear about theoretical risks, but how exactly do domestic pigs most often become infected with ASF? You mentioned warthogs and ticks in Africa and so on, but they're not here in Europe, where you and I are located. What, in fact, is the most common route of infection? So, um, <clears throat> we have two, two ways of infection. The one you mentioned already, say, the African way where uh, we have ticks, soft ticks, which might transmit the virus from one tick to another. So you need the ticks as a vector. But here in Northern Europe, we do not have this tick. So the infection takes place via direct contact. So one pick has to have direct contact to the virus. And it's not a droplet infection like we see it now, for example, uh, for corona, or as we know it from food and mouse disease, or for classical swine fever, where the virus enters the stable by droplets or by wind, possibly. In African swine fever, it has to be carried physically inside the stable, and only humans are doing that. So you have to bring the virus into the stable, and this virus has somehow to enter the mouse or to be <clears throat> to to go under the skin of the of the pig, so it needs a real uh, direct strong contact, and then you will have the infection. And therefore, uh, the contagiousness is completely different to a airborne disease or to a droplet infection disease, like foot and mouth, for example. I'm trying to think of the roots. Though, is the main risk therefore when you say taking it inside the body? Is that from giving the pigs? contaminated feed and water is that where it most often happens yes that's probably the most often way now uh, how it happens the, the pigs uh, have are fed with say in the backyard system with uh, with uh, leftovers from the kitchen which might be contaminated so with swill or contaminated uh, forage is entering or contaminated water is is finding its way to the pig's table and that's the way how the, the, the pigs get infected. Some of them, not all. That's also something which we had to learn. So if you have, for example, 10 pigs and you feed them all with the same amount of contaminated food or give them the same amount of contaminated water, we, you will realize that only one or two or three probably will pick up infection, the other ones not. So it's very difficult at the end to infect a pig. But once a pig gets infected, that happens, then most probably it will die. So the case fatality is over 95%. So once infected, 
the animal will die, but it's difficult to infect it, to infect the animal. Hmm. I understand then, with such as with waste feed, that is a risk factor. I can see that could be. What about water? I'm less clear. How does water become contaminated with this virus? Is this human action? Of course. So <clears throat> with water, we don't have real... Uh, clear scientific evidence how it works out in the field, but there have been made some nice uh, experiments in the United States where um, water, contaminated water has been given to pigs and uh, even small amounts of virus succeeded to infect uh, the pig. So what is more important is that the how often a pig is drinking infecting water and once of these events will lead to an infection and i think if for example a pig has a small lesion in its mouth which often happens so that the contaminated water so virus particle can immediately go in this wound or in directly in the in the in the blood uh, then infection might happen so that's a point which must be seen. And what happens in the might happen in the field is, say, in the backyard system or more remote places, people, they throw away their carcasses out in the water, they are floating, and somewhere else, water is taken out for, for giving it to pigs. And that might be a, a circle how the um, infection might take place. No? But it's not proven. It's just uh, hypothetically. No? Okay, but does this mean that effective biosecurity to keep out ASFV is quite straightforward in practice? Of course. So actually, um, African swine fever, at least in domestic pigs, I'm not talking about wild boar at the moment, but at least in domestic pigs is a disease where you clearly can prevent yourself. Because it's at the end of the day, if you think it's a human-made disease. So the humans are the one who facilitate infection. And so you can prevent your pigs from African swine fever with biosecurity. Definitely. And you've seen this in practice. Of course. Such of as course. herds that are careful about their feeding and their human yeah, interaction. Yeah. It actually works in practice. I, I can give you a very nice example. I was once in a... So I, I have done very much, uh, very many uh, field investigations. So I visited many, many farms in different countries which were affected by the disease. And once I was in a Caucasus, in a, in a remote Caucasian uh, village up in the mountain, they had about, say, 6,000 pigs there in, in different households. So one household had about 20 to 30 uh, animals and um, all but one household survived so uh, uh died all pigs died not only in one household the pigs survived and we asked the owner say what are you doing that all other pigs in the village died only you survived and he said okay i have three rules the one is only me and my wife are entering the stable feeding the animals the second one i only use commercial uh, feed so no kitchen leftovers. And the third one, when I enter the stable, I change my, my shoes and take boots. So three basic biosecurity rules who prevented um, the infection in a stable. And that was really a very convincing as example for me. And I always use it when I teach people about biosecurity and tell them, look, um, 
by security had two two sides. The one is the hardware, I call it, where everything depends on the quality of stables, fences, and all this stuff which you can buy with money. And the other one is the software biosecurity, where everything is depending on the philosophy, on the management, which is a matter of education. And if you don't have a, a good software, the best hardware will not uh, protect you. <clears throat> Let me pause for a moment to remind everyone that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications and videos, can be found on the website pers.com. Now, you did mention wild boar, so I need to ask you a bit about that, if I may, Dr. Deppner. Of course, we hear a lot about the role of wild boar as a reservoir of infection. You mentioned years ago in Europe, I remember in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was in Spain and in Sardinia particularly, the role of the wild boar was mentioned. But does the ASF virus affect wild boar in much the same way as domestic pigs? I'm not clear on that point. So from a uh, purely biological point of view, the wild boar is equally susceptible for the disease like domestic pigs. So the clinical development in wild boar is identical. So there's no difference. The only difference which you have at the end of the day is the way how wild boar live in the completely different um, setup in the forest and their density and their management is completely different to the domestic pigs, which then uh, gives also a different uh, yeah, view of, of, of the disease from, from the populational point of view. But on the individual level, it's absolutely the same. And um, reservoir, yes, that's nearly, uh, it's not the right word. So what happens is the wild boar would get infected and also the infection takes place if humans are littering and are throwing uh, contaminated food out in the forest then one wild boar will pick up the infection will get sick will die and now what comes is that the virus as such is quite resistant so it survives for example the process of putrefaction and then <clears throat> you have there a carcass lying around for one or two weeks which still remains a kind of source of infection for other wild boar. And that is the way how the virus survives in, in the environment due to these carcasses, which are uh, for a while infectious for other wild boars. So that is the way how the virus survives. No? We Just to be clear, though, if I may, Dr. Deppner, a wild boar becomes infected and it's just as likely to die and not to survive as a domestic No, pig. there is no difference. There is no difference from that perspective. Now, if either a domestic pig or a wild boar survives the infection, does it always become a carrier of the virus? Yeah, the carrier discussion is uh, a hot discussion. So, first of all, only few animals will survive the virus. So, I told you that uh, case fatality is about 1995 percent not to be confused with the mortality which is often made so the case fatality is the percentage of the animals which die out of the group which really got infected while the mortality is the percentage of the animal which die out of the stable of or the forest so we can have 
in a domestic stable, a case fatality of 90%, but mortality of 9%, no? just for, for that. However, the ones which survive, uh, they might, in the worst case, might for two, three months still react positive in the, um, in the diagnostic tests for virus, not for antibodies, but they do not shed virus or very few of them would shed virus. So we will not have them as a spreader. So the problem really, the question really is, do they play an epidemiological role in this epidemic? So if you have, imagine you have a forest with hundreds of wild boar and several of them die due to African swine fever and carcasses of really infectious animals are lying around, which role does a survivor play in this setup? No role, at least epidemiologically, no role. What can imagine is you have such an animal which survives and somewhere might be um, still some virus in a lymph node or somewhere hidden in this in this animal, and this animal will die due to whatsoever other reason, and another wild boar would eat up this animal. Then you can construct something like that. But it's really a very, very hypothetical construction. They are not, um, we experiments have been done where survival animals have been put together with um, naive animals and they, they could not infect them. So, these survival uh, animals are not, they might theoretically be carriers. You cannot deny it, but they don't play a role in the epidemic. Then I'm going mm. to go back to your point about the virus being contagious, please. Within the farm, you've got infected pigs. They don't show the disease immediately but they become infected and sometimes are able to pass the infection to other pigs in the vicinity nearby them. But they tend not to pass it to every pig nearby, as we've seen. I'm not quite clear, therefore, if the survivors are not spreading and the pigs are in the early stages of infection before they are shedding themselves, how does the contagion happen before you see a disease incident. Yeah, um, I would like to rephrase a little bit this, this topic. So what happens in, in a farm, usually happens in a farm is as follow. You have um, one pick in a pen, for example, one of 10 picks in a pen, which gets infected. And this one pig will become sick and will die. And now, if it remains in the pen overnight, it was not is not taken out. The other nine pigs, which are healthy, start to nibble and lick. And that's the moment when they get infected. So that's the way how it normally happens out in the field. So while a pig is incubating the virus or is even sick, it's not shedding too much. And the other ones, they do not pick up the infection. Now, if you have a farm made up of two pigs, for example, only two pigs, a backyard, and one pig of these two pigs will die, and you get, go into the stable in the morning and you see that one of your two pigs die, is dead, so 50% mortality, 
it's impossible that you will not realize this event. But now you have a farm of 10,000, 20,000 pigs, and one pig dies, even with nice clinical signs or pathological symptoms. You might ignore that one because the mortality, now I speak about mortality due to African swine fever is so low at the beginning, it's below the normal farm mortality, which you normally have. In large farm, for example, you expect, you, know, you have a normal mortality of two or three percent, depending on, on what, what category of pigs you have there. And the first weeks, the deaths cold, uh, caused by African swine fever are below the normal mortality. And even with science, people ignore them. And then suddenly you have an exponential uh, mortality. So at the beginning, one pig died this week, then two in the next week, and suddenly you have 10, 20, 30 pigs dying within two days. And then is the moment that you realize something, because then the process becomes faster and exponential. But um, it's not like that, that the first one which died had no symptoms or no signs or no pathology, only that you have ignored them because it's below that what you expect. It's very tricky. So it passed. Hmm? We have large farms where it takes us four, five, six, two, two months, three months until we realize the disease is there. It must be tricky, I'm sure, to investigate when and how the virus has entered the farm because of the duration of that process. Yeah, it's very difficult because, okay, what can help you is you, you go back in the, uh, if there are good farm records and you go back in the mortality data, and you will see uh, so very small peaks of mortality, which did not worry you. But retrospectively, you can realize that might have been a moment where the disease have uh, could have entered. So mortality data will help you to um, realize how long the, the disease is there. And also clinical data, if you have good records, uh, also might help you. And also, yeah, laboratory data might help you with the, the results. If you will find a pig, for example, which is, uh, yeah, positive also for virus as for antibodies, then you know that animal is one of the famous survivors. And if he survived, the infection must have been a few weeks before. No? So there are some indicators and some tricks how you might uh, narrow the date when the virus might have entered the farm. There must, I guess, also be implications for how we undertake routine surveillance of swine herds in those areas where ASF is known to exist before we're aware of any disease in the particular farm. Uh, can serology help us with early detection, for example? Not at all. A serology is, is the wrong way to go. So serology is a useful tool in an endemic situation, for example, in wild boar, when you want to see after two or three years how far the disease uh, went. But for early detection, there is only one way to go, to check a clinically sick animal or dead animal. And um, in a, particularly in a region where you expect that you, your farm is under risk, we have introduced in the European Union a few years ago a rule to check 
the first two dead fatteners or sows or boars within a week uh, for African swine fever independently on what they might have died. So first two which die per week, we check for African swine fever. That's the only way how you can get very fast to an early detection. Because if you wait until antibodies are there, then you might have lost already 90% of your farm. <laughs> in fact, to me, the tools we have for ASF diagnostics seem quite good. Do we need more penicide tests, for example, or ways of detecting infected carcasses at an abattoir? Would that help us? Oh, if we detect African swine fever at the abattoir, then we have slept. So that would be the worst case scenario. If the virus managed to go through all our checks until it reached the abattoir, that means everything what has done before uh, did not work. Early surveillance or monitoring and all these things have not worked. So that should not never happen that we have uh, positive peaks at the abattoir. At the abattoir, people only will check if there are signs, pathological signs, and that that should not happen. Yes, you asked me about the lateral flow devices. They are now um, more or less new diagnostic tools on the market. They might be useful, okay, in the field, particularly for epidemiological investigations. Um, if you have a sick animal in front of you and or a dead animal and you, you do a test with a lateral flow device, and the test is negative, then most, most probably that was not African swine fever which killed that animal. But a, a sick animal due to African swine fever will always or nearly always uh, react positive. So it, it would be a help to, to, for you to um, clarify the suspicion which you have, you have. And it could be used in a strategic way uh, you can use the lateral flow devices for, for surveillance and monitoring in, in a farm to see which stables are affected, which are not affected, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm going to pause for a minute, Doctor, just to say to our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us in this podcast, where we're talking to virologist Dr. Klaus Deppner in Germany, about African swine fever virus. I'm going to continue with this conversation with him, but thank you for joining us today. And we always appreciate feedback from you on all the episodes of Meet the Expert. Thank you very much also. Dr. Deppner, I'm mm -hmm. going to switch a little bit. At local or farm level, not a national level, what are our options in practice? Do we eradicate ASF or do we live with it? So for domestic pigs, we should be able to eradicate. If we have more or less a, a good functioning veterinary service, it should not be a problem on the domestic pig side. So as I told you, it is a very slow disease. So you, you come to a farm with African swine fever there, you take your measures and you, if you do everything properly, you ask, you might be confident that you eradicate the disease before this disease escaped from that farm to the neighboring farm. If you would have foot and mouse disease that we have seen, for example, in the UK and also 
elsewhere, you come to the farm and the virus is already gone. It's escaped to the neighboring farm because that is droplet infection much, much, much faster, highly contagious. And African swine fever is not highly contagious. It gives you time to do your measures, but you have to do them then properly. And you, you may uh, be able in the position to eradicate the disease. With wild boar, it's complicated, but domestic pigs, it should work. And it also worked in many countries. So we have good examples where they were able to eradicate it in domestic pigs. We know ASF can be contained on one farm, Doctor. It's not blown in the wind or carried by insects to reach other farms in the neighbourhood. But how good can we be at stopping it spreading from one barn to other barns on the same site? Well, that's a little bit more difficult because once you have um, a pen or a barn where you have one or two positive pigs, you can't be sure that the other ones which had direct contact to this pig are not already infected, incubating the virus. So the point is rather uh, how we can prevent. So if I have a farm made up of four or five buildings or stables, how we can prevent that the disease is not jumping from one stable to the next. Inside a stable, I would not be confident that I can um, stop it. But uh, from stable to stable, so from building to building, there might be the chance that uh, we can stop it. If the stable is divided into rooms, does that improve our possibility to contain it? within one compartment or room of a stable, or is that very difficult? Theoretically, yes, it's difficult. It's a matter also how good the biosecurity, the inside farm biosecurity is working, how good the management is working, how many personnel you have, because at a certain stage you have to really isolate it 100%, so you do not have to have uh, the same people doing uh, the work in different um, rooms, for example, or, or you have also maybe to separate the feeding and the water supply. So inside a building, I see there a problem. As I said, it's a, a management issue and it's an issue of, um, yeah, from farm to farm. But on the other hand, it's also a legal uh, request. So if you have African swine fever, at least with the legislation in the European Union, you have to cull all the animals independently if you have only found one which is positive and the farm has 10,000 animals, you still have to cull them all. Are there alternatives to culling all the pigs on a farm where ASF has been shown to be present? I'd be particularly interested in your view of a system or process of partial depopulation that's being proposed in Asia which means effectively taking out only the infected pigs rather than destroying every pig on the farm. Some people call it the tooth extraction technique. Can it work? Well, uh, we, call it, uh, we call it modified culling. So, as I told you, you have the, on the one side the legislation which obliges you to do certain measures, which under circumstances you have to, to, to cull the whole farm. But as I told you, African swine fever 
is a very slow disease. So you have, you have theoretically the, ch the chance to save partially parts of the farm. It very much depends when you enter the scene. So if you detect the first, if you detect African swine fever and you have already hundreds of infected pigs on that farm, dead pigs on that farm, that means you are very late. You enter the farm very late, so the disease is quite far spread within the farm. So in that situation, you might not succeed to save much. But if you are good in early detection and you diagnose the disease only when the disease is in a one single pen in one house and only a few animals, then you really have good chances to go for this um, modified culling system. However, then you need for a strategy for the weeks afterwards where you have a good proper monitoring of the rest that you make really sure that the disease did not escape from that particular part where you found it first. But we have, for example, we have had farms where hundreds of pigs were already dead or positive or sick. And in that, such a scenario, it's nearly impossible to, to, uh, to do modified culling because the disease they waited too long until uh, measures were taken. So depends how fast you are in early detection. Then you have a chance. That would be my answer. Yes, thanks. Just for information, I was re reminded of the fact that modified depopulation has been tried before in Europe. I've got a paper from 30 years ago where it was talking about the eradication plan in Spain that was introduced in 1987 and where they were testing for antibodies. Then if they found a low prevalence, they would only cull the ones shown to have antibodies to show exposure to the infection. Note that this was in swine breeding herds, not all swine herds. But the other question I had from, mm. for you that was at a time when they were dealing with genotype 1. And this seemed to become gradually less acute. We've got genotype 2 in Europe now. Do you see any chance that this will become less acute with time? I have just to, to make a remark to the Spanish situation uh, 30, 40 years ago. You know, uh, at that stage, we had a, a quite uh, difficult situation because an attempt was made to vaccinate against African swine fever with an attenuated virus, which was not really 100% attenuated. And so it was still able to create um, mild forms of... Uh, of um, so the pig survived and created mild forms of the disease and produced antibodies. And um, from that point of view, you had infected farms with, with an attenuated vaccine virus, and that created a little bit of confusion. And of course, under cer certain circumstances, you had to, to test for antibodies and to take the, the seropositive pigs out. So that was a, a different story at that time. Genotype, genotype 1 viruses, they also have a high case fatality, so they kill the animal exactly like genotype 2. And... Um, I think it's not so from an evolutionary point of view, the time is too short that we have an adaptation now that we have an attenuated strain which survives or which uh, has an advantage in the evolution. 
it's not like the warthog story in Africa where it took hundreds of thousands of years until the virus and the host got in a agreement. We Africans when fever in domestic pigs is only two, three hundred years old when when we went to Africa, um, colonizing Africa and brought our European pigs there. And even with wild boar, the disease in wild boar is not 20 years old. So from an evolutionary point of view, that's nothing. There's no time um, enough to to have an adaptation that the host is adapted to the virus or vice versa. We have still uh, to fight. So it will take time. I'm afraid we've come to the end of this particular podcast, yes, Dr. Yes, May I tell our listeners that you kindly agree to a second podcast with me where we're talking about national policies and so on. But for the moment, many thanks to our listeners for joining us. We've been talking to Dr. Klaus Deppner in Germany about the African swine fever virus. As you hear, there'll be an extra conversation between us in a further podcast. But for the moment, thank you for joining us and goodbye. We want to remind you that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications and videos, can be found on the website pers.com.